Hey everybody, Randy here. Before we get into today's episode, I want to thank one of our sponsors, and that is Pinehurst Golf Resort, Pinehurst, North Carolina. With fall here, uh, most parts of the country are going to be getting pretty chilly. If you are looking to get in that one golf trip before the end of the year, I implore you, please check out Pinehurst Golf Resort, pinehurst.com. They have nine courses nine courses that will challenge your skill and test your imagination i've played a handful of them i can attest to uh number one is a delightful walk in the woods of course number two is is all world one of the best golf courses anywhere number three is a fantastic shorter course i think it's the perfect warm-up for number two number four is the gill hans redesign it's just as pretty and picturesque uh, with with a blend of, of strategy and challenge. It's an exceptional golf course. I think, and I, I've played eight at one point, but it was years ago. So I, I need to do a little bit more work to round out playing all the Pinehurst courses. I just saw recently the Cradle, their short course celebrated the 1000th ace made on it, uh, which is pretty cool. And then of course, this will do which is their their big putting green. It's the site of many uh, skins matches that we've played, putting competitions. It, it's also an excellent time to, you know, you could, God, you could waste a couple hours out there as well. Um, so please, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you haven't been to Pinehurst, if you're planning, if you're wanting to get away for a, a fall golf trip, the weather, it, it just cannot get any better than Pinehurst, North Carolina, October, November of this year. So please check it out. Pinehurst, North Carolina, pinehurst.com. And now on to today's episode. Nice is the spot for that track draw. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Trap Draw podcast. Today's episode is a great one. As always, I am joined by Mr. Tron Carter, TC, back home in Florida after a great week in Wisconsin. How are we feeling? I'm great, man. I'm, I'm a little bit frayed, a little bit wiped out after the last six to eight weeks. Glad to be back home, cooling off here. Jags are 0-3. Things are happening, man. I, I mean, big one tonight, right? Big Huge one tonight. tonight. I'll be locked in tonight. I'm grilling out. I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm totally focused on this game tonight because, you know, and, and really I'm rooting for the Bengals. Oh my gosh. Uh, that's funny. You say that I got home last night myself and I went to the grocery store and I got all kinds of stuff to, to make tonight. I, I literally cannot wait to watch the football game, which is, which is kind of fun. I'm a little bit, you know, T, T. Higgins is out. Uh, <laughs> Jesse Bates 3.0 is out for the Bengals as well. Uh, looks like the, the Jags are about to make a kicker change. Uh, they put Josh Lambeau on ice. He's been fucking pitiful all year. A uh, couple other injuries going on. They just they just traded C.J. Henderson, obviously the, the number nine pick in, in the 2020 NFL draft. Uh, they traded him for, for a third-round pick. 
and uh, Dan Arnold. Backup um, tight end. Which I, I guess there was a big problem in Charlotte because uh, it was Darnold passing to Dan to D Arnold, and <laughs> it was really confusing for people. So, uh, you know, Herb's just Herb's just doing Herb things. So this is obviously Herb's looking for his first NFL win. The Bengals have find themselves at two and one. Um, the class of the AFC North right now. I know, and and a big part of me just can't help but feel like it, it's going to be so Bengals to lose this game tonight. But if they get a win, they get to three and one, and then all of a sudden they're you know that that changes that kind of sets the whole tenor for for the season, right? Three and one is so much different than two and two. It does, it does. I think you know, especially with the, the Steelers reeling right now, Roethlisberger looks completely washed. Yeah, he's uh, done. He's done. The Ravens. I'm still not, you know. Lamb limbs, whatever. I'm, you know, I'm not a lamb limb guy. Browns are, Browns are gonna be hot and cold with Baker. Great defense there. They they look uh, frisky. That that's who I'm most worried about. I would say the defense scares me even more because like they're not running the ball great, but the defense they're they're, you know, Miles Garrett and then they've got uh, uh, Clowney there now. They've shored up their back end a little bit. Um, you know, we'll see. We got any ads today? We uh we're gonna do whoop, but we'll get to that before. Okay. Um, let's do that before we get to our guest. What else we got going on? Did you see that 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 awful announcing article about uh, this Kirk Barton and Nevada Buck uh, of the Buckeye Scoop website? No, an Ohio uh, State fan website. No, uh, just bad bad guys. Uh, they got sued, fired. They were paying kids on the roster for injury information. Uh, this guy was running a fantasy league on the website or on the message board and then changing his picks up in, at like after the games had started at halftime. Oh my and, gosh. And, and winning. I mean, just typical Ohio State stuff. Like it wouldn't happen with any other fan base. No, no. And, uh, you know, we're Ohio State, I feel like we kind of skated. They, they, you know, they they got punched in the mouth by Oregon a little bit. I, I totally. Think, I I am I don't know. I'm concerned. I'm 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 concerned about the program and I'm concerned about the fans. Uh, TC, huge news, huge news dropped yesterday. Uh, Jesse Palmer, the new host of The Bachelor. Is that enough? To, will you be watching? I will. I'm a massive, massive Jesse Palmer guy. I know you are as well. I am huge, huge, huge fans of his work on uh, him and the late John Saunders back in the day on the ABC, you know, pregame and uh, halftime show for college football. Uh, you know, Spurrier acolyte coming full circle. I think Rome would always call him the Bachelor, maybe or somebody yeah. would, yeah, somebody would call him the Bachelor. Now he gets to host the Bachelor. Wasn't he on the Bachelor? Yeah, that's what he okay. was a contestant, yeah. or yeah. he, yeah or he was the guy and he had like the 25 women vying to, to marry huge, him or something. Yeah. Huge fan of his. Uh, uh, I, we look forward to that. You know what? I haven't watched it in many years since, uh, since, since Sally's X flame was on it. That's right. That's right. Uh, That's, that was kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, the, I've been tracking this, uh, this Mark lore, the founder of diapers.com. Any, oh, no, tell me, I've totally missed this story. So he's trying to build this utopian city called Tolosa. And he's, he's trying to acquire land out in the, in the American Southwest, either Arizona, uh, Nevada, 
you know, basically along the lines of Vegas, but bigger. Okay. Uh, yeah, just I've been tracking that. It sounds awful. What is the, I, I got to say, you know, I, I think anybody's setting out to build a utopian city. It's, it might be an impossible bar. And I feel like things can only go bad. What, what, what's, his, about, what's his motivation? He wants it to be, you know, the people own the city, but then he still wants it to be capitalist. It's very, you know, I'm struggling with it. I'm struggling with it. Is anybody um, invited? How do we get into the utopian city? I think he needs to, to combine this with uh, some of the stuff that, you know, our, our man over in Saudi Arabia is doing Oof. with the Kadia and the line city and, uh, you know, King Abdullah economic city, all that stuff that, uh, you know, our buddy over there is doing. That's a good uh, thought. What's his name? MBS. MBS. <laughs> I, I, I kept <laughs> want to say KSM MBS. Um, and then uh, closer to home, uh, hated seeing this from your guy Bill Gates last week. The well, he's dead. So talking about Epstein. Um, What's the lesson you learned? Well, he's dead. So yeah, Bill. Uh, you know, what if Bill was trying to do like a media rehab? That I don't think that went according to plan for that was tough. for Billy Boy. Um, uh, yeah, that's some 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 stinks there, TC. Speaking of media rehab, Rush Probst got an update. He's uh, he's he's moving around in bed. He's eating a little bit of food. This is as of yesterday. Of course, okay. this is the uh, you know high school football coach Rush Probst uh, of fighting fighting the vid off down in South Georgia. Um, you know, I need to get over to a game at some point this season if he if he's able to recover. Yeah, and of course, uh, uh, prayers prayers to he and his families. Which is not an yeah. original joke. Shout out to, uh, I think Bunky made the made the joke on Twitter. People are even floating him for the uh, the the Georgia Southern head coaching position, which, wow. would, which would be so. Uh, what else we got? Lil Kimmy bucking his head over in North Korea, shooting more missiles. He's back, he's back. Love it. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm in kind of a chippy, bad mood today. Yeah. Uh, between all the, you know, just kind of a Thursday mood. Uh, we got all the, all the uh, logistics and choke point stuff. It's just wearing on me, Randy. We tried yeah. to warn people. We absolutely did. And I think those chickens are coming home to roost right now. I think they're, I think they've already roosted. We've, they're, they're chicks. We got choke points out the ass. And it's not, it's, it's not getting any better either. No. It's supposed to get worse. It's going to so, get worse. Yeah. Before it gets better. You know, I'm trying to get stuff into the country. Neil, Ben and I are trying to, you know, our freight costs have gone up astronomically stuff sitting in port out, out in LA, you know, uh, just not good. Not good. So we're small business. Uh, we're, we're we are, hurt. we're getting, you know, we're taking the brunt of this. So uh, gosh, what else? You know what? I got to take to, 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 uh, fire off. Okay, please. Spent a lot of time in Minnesota and Wisconsin the last 15, 18 months or so. I got to say, and this is no offense to anyone. They're both good. They're both good places. Somebody's about uh, to get offended. I, I, I think you go 10 rounds, Minnesota versus Wisconsin. I'm going Minnesota eight to two. Wow. Just, you know, I think it's just a little bit more involved over there in Minnesota. The people, you know, spent a lot of time up in Duluth, spent some time in, in, in Twin Cities. 
Um, you know, I've been fishing up in boundary waters. Uh, there's just the, the golf is unbelievable. Um, you know, I, I just think there's, there's just more going on in Minnesota. I think the food is better in Minnesota. They've got more of the, the Scandinavian thing. Whereas I feel like, uh, you know, Wisconsin, you're just, they're just, they're, they're kind of falling back on their, uh, their uh, cheese curds and beer and cheese and pretzels. Oh. Whereas I think there's a little bit more depth there in Minnesota, a little bit more Scandinavian cuisine there. Uh, you know, Minnesota, there's just a little bit more variety as far as the geography. I think, you know, Wisconsin's pretty flat uh, aside from kind of those sand hills there. And uh, you know, I just, uh, listen, I love, I played Pine Hills last week, loved Pine Hills. You know, I've uh, not, you played Aaron Hills by all accounts. You loved it. It was really, it was really good. It was, it was, yes. But you know, I just, I just think it, it, it feels like at least the, the Southeast part of the state, it feels like an extension of Illinois. Well, maybe I God, I was going to, I was getting ready to shout out Milwaukee. I, I absolutely fell in love with Milwaukee. Really? This, this past week. Oh my gosh. Absolutely charming city. It's, it's it's Chicago, but just shrunken down and way approachable. I you know what I I will I will sit that one out because I've not spent you know st- I, I stayed there one night last week. Uh, did not stay you know I don't have enough to draw upon to really judge sure. there. Um, but you know just driving down from the UP to to Green Bay and you know I just uh, you know this is nothing against Wisconsin. I, I would put Wisconsin in probably my ten top ten favorite states. I just love Minnesota. Minnesota's strong. Absolutely. Minnesota's strong. Um, God, I thought, yeah, DJ and I were, were starting to look at real estate. I, I not having Milwaukee on my short list to move was, was such a miss by me. Um, I, I found it, I found it very charming in a city. I'd love to explore more. I, I really want to get back next summer. We had a great day at Aaron Hills with Brian Anderson. Uh, just a consummate pro TC. Great dude. Good golfer too. Uh, Aaron Hills was, Aaron Hills was a lot of fun. I, I did not have many mental pictures of the place. The uh, the 2017 U.S. Open there, I did not see a lot of. And it, and it's fun, man. It, it was hard to like put my thumb on what it reminded me of. It's it's this huge piece of land, uh, and, and they have some of that glacial movement that have created hills and dunes, and and you're just out there. And there's like not much around. It's so peaceful. Uh, it's surrounded by trees. So, you know, you started to see all the fall colors. Uh, and then the course itself is, is a ton of fun. The, the routing and, and the greens, it, it's, it's a place I would be excited to take you. I, I think we should, we should definitely get up there, uh, maybe spend a weekend in Milwaukee. And, okay. and BA, BA, invite us up to the booth. Maybe get up there for Reds Brewers games ne- next summer. Okay. Absolutely. I, uh, all for it. I think, uh, you know, I need to see more of Milwaukee. Um, you know, I'm not, again, this isn't about Wisconsin. It's more of, of a compliment towards, towards Minnesota. Uh, speaking of which, how was the, uh, the white Sox Reds game uh, other than uh, the Reds losing? The Reds got pummeled. It was great. First time, you know, TC, it's always a thrill to see a new ballpark. I got to give uh, Comiskey. It's now called guaranteed rate field. I think. Some people on Instagram told us it's officially known as the G spot now. Uh, <laughs> it, it was a lot of fun. Great, great atmosphere. 
You know, one thing I can the say. The stadium on, looks like it sucks. No, it's it's cool. It's cool inside. Really? Yeah, it's kind of like Coors. Like outside, it just kind of looks yeah. But inside, it's it's everything you need and nothing you don't. Is is the best <laughs> compliment I can pay it. Uh, and, and what I was gonna say though is unequivocally, like like I've never been more certain of anything in my life. The 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 White Sox fans and the franchise are infinitely, infinitely more cool and interesting than the Cubs. Yeah, the Cubs suck. I mean, just everything about the Cubs, ownership, the fan base, the history, the way that they, their expectations, everything. It's just, it's awful. Yeah. There was such a, it was, it was a beautiful melting pot of all different types of people, all ages at the White Sox game. Everybody was having fun. The White Sox themselves have such a fun team. They play up to the crowd. They toss more balls into the stands than like any baseball game I've ever been to. Uh, Tony La Russa can't be happy about that. <laughs> no. And and that it's all, yeah, that the manager is Tony La Russa is, is so weird and wacky, but. What a scumbag he is. Yeah. The, the White Sox are on to something, man. We had this kid sitting in front of us at the game. Uh, really nice kid. And he would turn around. He was asking me all about the, the you know, was asking if I'd ever been to a White Sox game. If I liked the White Sox, I told him no. And I, you know, I was wearing my Reds hat. Oh, you're a Reds fan. Yeah. Well, he turns around at one point in the game. He's like, do you like Joey Votto? And I go, yeah, he's my favorite player. Just like deadpan without missing a beat. He goes, well, he's trash. I go, what? I was just like taken aback. I had to laugh. My guy, Sky. Shout out my guy, Sky, sitting in front of me. He he, he was keeping us laughing all game. I saw you got, got close to a uh, foul ball. Not a foul ball. One of those balls that they were tossing up in the stands pregame. Tim Anderson lobbed one. It was like I, I made a move. There were open seats next to me. I was kind of I, I got out on the aisle onto the steps. And it was it was it was kind of a weird distance where I, I tried to went palm up to try to catch it. But my arm was completely extended. I was kind of reaching over somebody and hit literally hit my palm, bounced straight up in the air. But this guy was—he was too quick on the on the second hop, and he snatched it from me. Hate uh, that. I know it was fun though. It, it was just a fun game. Had had some Goose Island Sox ales during during the game. Had some peanuts. We gotta get you into into baseball next year, TC. Oh, it's gonna be. You know what? So I can't root for the Braves anymore. Definitely red. You know, Reds first. I feel like I need an American League team. I think you'd like the Blue Jays, especially with your Toronto a, history. Yeah, yeah. Like I've, I've always kind of followed the Blue Jays. Vlad Jr. now. You know what? I was following some of the, the uh, Rays stuff this week, too. They're, they're trying to split time between St. Petersburg and uh, Montreal. Um, Which would be Sternberg, awesome. the owner, like a, a putz. Uh, he, he, like all the owners are pissed off because he's just pocketing all the revenue sharing money uh, and still making the playoffs, which is, which is wild. Yeah. Um, I've thought about the Marlins as another NL team just because we've got the, got the Jumbo Shrimp, one of their minor league affiliates here in Jacksonville. Yep. Your guy uh, Jeter is, is running the team. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, you know, I hate seeing the cards. Uh, cards have won how many in a row now? Well, they just lost last night. They had won 17 oh. in a row, TC. 17. Oh. I know, I know our friend Adam Law, the schlong, is probably over the moon. Yes. Uh, came out of completely, like completely came out of nowhere to but win. Just the, were, just were. Yeah, five hundred. You know, bouncing under five hundred, just a whole season. 
looked looked old, looked like an old roster, and then come out of nowhere, win 17 in a row, or gonna win the second wild card. And I and I just huh. know that their stupid like cardinal devil magic is gonna they'll probably beat the Dodgers in the wild card game somehow. It, it just sucks. I hate it. Huh. All right. What how many how, how many new ballparks did you go to this year? Just the two. We you and I went to Pac Bell in San Francisco and then yeah. and then Comiskey for me. What's on the short list for next year? I think uh, Fenway's got it. Fenway, Brewer Stadium, and Camden are are the three on my short list. Maybe we can make a trip of it, go to the Brewer Stadium, play some golf up there. Absolutely. You know, That's what I want to do. Yeah. And I think the Reds, I, I look because the schedule's already out. The Reds have like three weekend series in uh in Milwaukee. Okay. Great excuse to get up there. I'm actually going to Boston next week. So um not That's, going to the Red Sox game. Yeah. You know, I don't think there are any Red Sox games. They might blow it. Yeah, they might miss the playoffs. Last thing I I had was uh our our dear friend Mr. Poosh oh. was very, very upset. I believe they're they're traveling through kind of the the Great Plains. They were in Dallas yesterday or two days ago, Austin the day before that. They're up they're heading to in KC and then to Albuquerque and then to Salt Lake City right now. Right, but he was he was not happy with with some of the things that were said on here. No, and, but I think I think we we were just reporting the facts. I think we put our journalist hat on, uh, you and I both, and and he he can be upset. I don't begrudge him that, but he 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 is not entitled to his own facts. Uh, and I will say they're playing Denver Saturday, so I'll I'll get to see Mr. Poosh again. Yeah. Uh, this weekend, if, if he'll allow me. You that. guys going to play golf again out there? Well, uh, very fluid situation. I guess he's supposed to play Prairie Dunes tomorrow, but the weather oh. looks really bad. So he was, he actually just had messaged me. They might be audibling coming into Denver oh. early. So there's a chance I might get to play in Denver tomorrow with them. But for his sake, I hope the weather's okay and they can play Prairie Dunes. Yeah, I'm playing Paradines next weekend. Not this weekend, next weekend. I'm stoked about that place. You would love it. It's awesome. Yeah, Hutch, Hutch, Kansas over there. Um, well, where are we where are we headed this week, TC? We got we got a lot of options. Uh, the Dunhill Links, the Euro guys are are playing over in Scotland. Uh, I almost think that's that's almost too sophisticated for 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 what we do. It is, and one of the you know one of the courses is Carnoustie. Obviously, you had you had Mister Huggin on. Um, and you know, so we've already done that. Uh, we could go to, I think the ladies are in New Jersey. They're in New Jersey next week. So I think we're going to do yeah. New Jersey next week. And next um, week's way better. Week. Uh, yeah. Just way better. Mountain Ridge is a, is a sparkling Donald Ross course that I so excited for that, um, LPG event next week. So we'll talk New Jersey next week. So that yeah. leaves TC. We're going, we're going to Mississippi, going to Mississippi. Um, David Banner style. Uh, you know, we've obviously we've had Bunky on last year for this one. Uh, Bunky, uh, not a native Mississippian. And then we, we, we had Lee Sanderlin on, um, one of the correspondents for the, uh, I believe the Jackson Clarion Ledger. Uh, but he, he went over his whole, his whole Waffle House um, experience where he's, he spent 24 hours in Waffle House and then, uh, Talked a lot of local politics, local journalism, et cetera. But we figured, but he's actually from North Carolina. We figured we'd get a, a Mississippi native on. Um, yeah. We reached out to uh, Prime, Coach, coach Prime. Coach uh, Prime, yes. Middle put, of the season. Put that coach on there. 
Uh, he was not available. He shot to Lane Kiffin, obviously not a, not a, uh, Mississippi native. Uh, I believe he's, he's, he's got a lot going on right now. And so Will Bardwell, uh, yep. friend of the program, uh, and you know, just a, just a pretty, pretty enlightened cat. I always, you know, I always, I don't always agree with him. Um, I think Will, Will's quite a bit farther left on the spectrum than I am, but it's kind of one of the few people that like ends up when he says something, I listen, right. It's always well-reasoned. It's always like, he's, he's very, uh, just very thoughtful individual. So, which I think is the highest compliment you can, you could pay anybody is, yo, I don't always agree with you, but I find your stuff to be very well thought out and it, it makes me think. And I think that's yeah. what we're always looking for. So, um, yeah, Will Bardwell, you can follow him on Twitter and I, I'll mention it during our interview as well at Will Bardwell. He's got a project lying for, uh, he does a lot of golf riding a lot in and around Mississippi, Good, good stuff, and like like you said, TC, very good dude. So excited, excited to chop it up with a native Mississippian. Yeah, we need to get down to the Sanderson next year. I think. Yeah, we. I think that's right. I think that's right. Well, perfect. Let's. Uh, without further ado, let's get to our conversation this week with Will Bardwell. Before we do get to that conversation, I want to thank one of our sponsors this week, and that is our good friends at Whoop. Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered you are, and how much stress you put on your body throughout the day from both your workouts and the normal stressors of life. TC, what, uh, what were your recoveries like during the Ryder Cup? You were staying in the, uh, the Herb Roller. Yeah, they were not good. Um, granted, my recoveries aren't good when I'm at home either. Yeah, they were, it was kind of a thin, thin mattress. Um, you know, some temperature fluctuations. I'm a, I'm a finicky sleeper. A lot of, a lot of alcohol consumed last week, a lot of cheese, a lot of, a lot of just protein. So my digestive tract was working overtime. So I was waking up, not only was my recovery bad, but also like I had a strain number that was pretty high pretty early in the morning uh, after just trying to digest ribs or steak for the fifth night in a row. Yeah. That's so funny. So you got to, wisconsin a little earlier than i did but like my first night there oh i slept in the hotel each night but you know my first day i was like 85 percent recovery you get the green the green color it's like oh my god feeling good and then you know by by sunday night even still staying at the hotel just with like drinking and just long days i was down into the 30s so it, it was just funny watching my recoveries steadily decline uh through the through Ryder cup weekend i think legitimately i'm still like I'm still three or four days away from feeling decent. Like I, yeah. I'm, I'm still scrambled up here. Yeah. So, yeah. And then I, yeah, I kept eating cheese curds. Just not good. Not good. Uh, anyway, whoop, whoop is fantastic. We've, we've alluded to the recoveries. You can track strain all manners and, and ways to, to really get insights into your body, your performance, your recoveries, your sleep, etc. And right now, listeners, Whoop is offering 15% off when you use the code TRAPDRAW at checkout. Go to whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P.com, enter the code TRAPDRAW, all one word, to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter with Whoop today. We thank them again for sponsoring the TRAPDRAW. And now on to our conversation. All right. Joining us now on the line, our very special guest from the great state of Mississippi, Mr. Will Bardwell. Will, good morning. 
How are you and where are you? Gentlemen, good morning. I am joining you from the home of golf, Jackson, Mississippi. In, in the home of, uh, what was that guy's name, Randy? The, the mayor. The, yeah, the, the old mayor. Frank Melton. Frank Melton. Well, so yeah. you're, the first, you're the first native Mississippian we've had on. I was born in Mississippi. Uh, I'm a sixth generation Mississippian. So uh, we've been here for a little while. Bonafides. Yeah. Um, we got here. I thought this might come up yesterday. So I, I looked into this. We got here in about 1830. Uh, and I got here about 150 years after that. So uh, just turned 40, live in uh, Jackson with two kids and my wife and our extremely poorly behaved dog. What, this is what and, we do. And, and we'll get into all this, but you're a lawyer by day. Uh, you're proprietor of Lying Four by, by night, if you will. Um, what, uh, talk, where'd you go to, did you, did you leave Mississippi for any, at any point during your, uh, your college education? Not, uh, not really. I, I went to undergrad at Ole Miss, um, spent two years after undergrad working for a little daily newspaper in Meridian, Mississippi, uh, which if, if you've ever driven through Mississippi on I-20, you'll pass through Meridian, um, uh, right there on the very, very Eastern part of the state. Uh, went back to Oxford after that to law school, graduated from law school in 08. I did a half of a summer during law school interning for a law firm in Nebraska. But that is really the only time I've ever lived outside Mississippi for any length of time. Where at Nebraska? Lincoln. Okay. All right. The house that uh, Bill Callahan built. I was going to go with Scott Frost. Yeah. That's, t- that's a tough scene over there right now. Oh, yeah. I hate um, to see it. I, yeah. I was, um, I came of age as a college football fan back during the Tommy Frazier years. In fact, I was a borderline religious Florida Gators fan uh, as a kid. Really? And, and that national, yeah, that yeah, national well, championship yeah. game against the Huskers, um, I still have nightmares about that. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't feel any sorrow watching that program fall into the ground. Who did you overlap with at, at, at Ole Miss? Was it uh, Mr. Nutt? No. So, um, I, I was, when I got to Ole Miss in 99, they had just hired Cutcliffe. Okay. And Eli, had, Eli was in my class at Ole Miss. So, those years were pretty good. Uh, we high, were high times for the for the rebels, right? Yeah, we we were a perennial seven and four type team when I was in school. Uh, we lost some games that we should have won, but you know, compared to some very lean years that followed, it, it was really good. Now, when I got back to Ole Miss for law school, they had fired Cutcliffe, and my three years in law school overlapped with the Orgeron era which was a completely different vibe than the Cutcliffe era. And if you had told me back during those days that Ed Orgeron would go on to win a national championship at LSU, I would have, I would have bet every dollar that I would ever make on that not happening. 
<laughs> I remember there was a there was a night game. Ole Miss beat Florida. Was that early two thousands? I think there was a game we beat. They had uh, Rex Grossman, and we beat <laughs> love, them love in Rex Oxford Grossman. seventeen to fourteen. I think, but that was a morning game. I think it might have been like a. It may have been the old Jefferson Pollock game at eleven thirty. And then a few years after that, in I think it was 08, speaking of Houston Nut, we went down to Gainesville and beat them there. Maybe that was that it. Was, yeah. Yeah. That was a that was a great team. Yeah. Uh, Houston Nuts first two years at Ole Miss, when he had all of Orgeron's talent and none of Orgeron's incompetence, at least not as much of it, uh, were pretty good years. Now, after that, it became a shit show. But those first two years uh, of the nut era, we were living high on the hog. What defined the nut era as far as uh, was it was it just a different kind of incompetence or I know there were some violations and. Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you put Houston under oath and asked him what he was looking for, I think he would tell you he was kind of looking for the Lou Holtz at South Carolina kind of deal where he could just kind of pay a little bit of attention to this thing and roll into retirement. And um, that's, that's not the way it works at Ole Miss, man. We, we, we need every break we have to compete in the SEC, and you, you just can't half-ass that. And there were signs on the wall that things were getting weird there, but you know when you're winning nine games a year, nobody cares. Um, that was how we found out about some of the freeze stuff, right? Was was – Houston was suing the school and, you know, all sorts of legal yeah, stuff. I, I'm trying to think. Who, I, Billy Brewer also sued the school. I'm pretty sure it was Billy Brewer who sued the school in the late 90s after he had been run off unceremoniously. And God, there may even be another football coach who sued Ole Miss at some point along the line. So a lot of bad divorces coming out of Oxford during my lifetime. Which probably isn't isn't – you know, isolated to the football program. I, I would imagine there's a lot of bad divorces coming out of, you know, some, some uh, Oxford mergers there <laughs> kind of immediately post-college and then, you know, grow apart. Yeah. A lot of, uh, you know, Oxford has become a, uh, an attractive landing spot for a lot of uh, sort of professionals in the second half of their career kind of stay. You throw that into uh, the mix with the, young co-ed scene it's a it's a combustible situation there man all right will what, what let, let me let me ask you a very broad question what do people from outside of mississippi what do they get the most like what do they get right about mississippi and then what do they get the most wrong about mississippi that's a that's a really broad question i could take that in a lot of different ways um well i mean when, when you see things like, I mean, you see these things every now and then, right? These lists that rank states based on certain metrics. You know, we're going to list the 50 states on, on the basis of poverty. We're going to list the 50 states on the basis of, you know, results in their public schools, that kind of thing. And when, when a state shows up as consistently as Mississippi does in 50th on those lists, man, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to figure out that like, man, there's, there's some shit wrong down there. Um, 
On the other hand, I, I do bristle a little bit when you hear people talking about those problems and conflating our state's political leaders with our state's people, because th those are two completely different things. Like most of the time, yeah, our, our statewide leaders in the state could not find their ass with both hands. Uh, but the people in this state are so good. Um, I, I mean, we, we got a few real assholes too, but, but by and large, the people in Mississippi, everywhere you go are just tremendous. So uh, I would just, you know, anytime I talk to people about what's going on in Mississippi, I always try to differentiate between our elected leaders who frequently are not worthy of, uh, of the people who elected them uh, and the, and the people who live here, who, who are. Having been a couple of times, it's, it's always struck me as a place that like you truly feel like the past is alive and with you, right? Like, it, it, you know, past is, is, not even really the past in certain spots, right? That's what, yeah, that's what Faulkner said. Uh, hard to argue with it. Um, and, you know, living in Jackson like I do, I mean, Jackson isn't exactly, you know, New York City or anything, but even in Jackson, you kind of get hidden from that. But when you get out into the country, you know, especially up in the Delta, some of those communities, man, um, it's – it's hard to imagine that those folks would look at the past 60 years and have seen much change. It, it's, it, it's tough, man. How, how does Mississippi vary? Uh, like most States, right. You, there are different pockets that, that vary, just have different people and different fields. And, and what, what are those sections of Mississippi? Like, like how does the state break up? That's a really good question. Uh, and there are several different regions like that. So the coast is the, the easiest one to start with. The coast is almost like another state. Like the culture down there is completely different from the rest of the state. I mean, you think about it, like Mississippi is largely a, you know, with a couple of exceptions, is a largely rural agriculture-based state. And the coast is none of that, man. The, co the coast is pretty metropolitan at least by Mississippi standards. Uh, there's not much agriculture going on down. There's a lot of entertainment stuff, you know, big glassy hotels, uh, casinos, uh, some really good public golf. And it's just, and on top of that, like the, the culture down there is more like South Louisiana than Mississippi. So the coast really is like its own state. Now you get farther up from there, closer to like Hattiesburg, that's a region that people call the Pine Belt. It's, it's a little more, especially around Hattiesburg, it's more like a traditional kind of city with a few suburban areas around it. Um, Southwest Mississippi is its own kind of animal. Macomb is the city I think of the most down there, although I was born there, so it may be a little personal bias. Um, Natchez would be in that area. You got central Mississippi uh, and the Tri-County area around Jackson is the, the heart of that. It's Hines, where Jackson is, Madison County and Rankin County, which are two suburban counties. Um, 
Northeast Mississippi probably has two or three different subparts, but I'll, I'll save you that. And then North Mississippi around DeSoto County is, has really kind of come into its own as its own little region, just because you know, so many people have moved there from Memphis over the past 10, 20 years that it, it has really emerged as a, a major suburban area for Memphis. Is that where, uh, is that like David Banner and three, six mafia and those guys? And you're, you're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say yes, though. They're, they're always, they're always repping North Mississippi. So. <laughs> okay. Well, that's interesting. And then Oxford's just like a little enclave. Describe Oxford. I've, I've yeah. never, I've, I've never been to the campus. I, I hear about the Grove. I, I have preconceived notions, but, but what's Oxford like then? I hear you. Well, Oxford is one of those little sub-regions of Northeast Mississippi. So you've got like Oxford, the, the little area called the Golden Triangle, which is uh, uh, closer to Mississippi State and Starkville. And then you've got some super rural stuff in the very like Northeast corner of the state. That's almost more like Appalachia than Mississippi. But uh, around Oxford, I mean, Oxford, for my taste, and I love Oxford, but for my taste, Oxford has gotten a little bit too big for its britches in the past 20 years in that it's just like, at some point, everybody just decided to move to Oxford. And so it's just, it's hard to do anything there now, uh, unless you're there the right time of year. If you go up during football season, it's a madhouse. Mm-hmm. Now it's still really great. Like anytime you can get up there and the students are gone, it's awesome. I was gonna say you know, I've been I've been twice and one of the times was in the middle of the summer, no students there. It was delightful. Yeah, it's awesome. Now when the students come back, it's hell. But if you can get there during the summer or like over Christmas break, it's great. How is Jackson? Uh, is Jackson growing? Kind of petered out, or is it is it declining? Like what's the what's the atmosphere in Jackson like? I'm sure I'll get uh, body checked by the data boys on this. Uh, and there are some recent census numbers. So this is one of those things I could look at and be sure. But the, the, the vibe of the place is I was say, that, sometimes the census numbers can lie a little bit too, or, or you know, feel it, it feels different than, than what the reality is, right? Yeah. The vibe of Jackson is definitely that it is on an upswing. You know, we, Jackson suffered decades of white flight. And I got here in 2008 after I graduated from law school, which is around the time a lot of people my age were also moving into Jackson and really moving into Jackson, not coming back to the Jackson area and settling in the suburbs. Um, There's a lot more restaurants, stuff to do in Jackson than there used to be. It's a really cool neighborhood called Fondren, where there are a lot of restaurants and stuff where people go to hang out, you know, some cool bars. I live in a little neighborhood called Bellhaven, which is kind of an old neighborhood, but you know, there are a couple of new restaurants that are going up right now. We've got a brewery uh, going up in the neighborhood and will hopefully be open next year. So there's some things going on here with just, it feels like more momentum than there were, than there was 20 years ago when I was growing up in the suburbs. Was it ever a thought to leave Mississippi or did you always know you would stay? I mean, shoot, we, I still think about leaving Mississippi. <laughs> um, 
but realistically, like, I don't want this to sound hokey, but I have always kind of hoped that, you know, Mississippi could bend the trajectory of its destiny during my lifetime, you know, that maybe we don't get there during my lifetime, but it would be great to look back uh, as a, especially as a lawyer who works in public interest work, to be able to look back at the end of your career and say, you know, it's, it's headed toward a better place than when I started my career. And, you know, it, it would break my heart to think that I left and then look back and, and could have been part of that. So I'm really, realistically, I'm probably always going to live here. Well, you're, you're about, what'd you say about 40 now? I, you I, could I, say I'm a, about 40. Yeah. Cause I, I'm literally 40 now. Allegedly. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, not to get too heavy here, but how, how do you assess that? You know, you've, you've been now out of law school for, I don't know, maybe a dozen years, a little bit more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, not to get too heavy, but even before 40, I mean, Tron, you could probably check me on this. You start having kids, man. You start thinking a lot more about your immortality yeah. uh, than yeah. you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think about it all the time. And, man, I don't know. I have days where I'm optimistic about it. I have other days where I'm super pessimistic about it. Realistically, I think Georgia is a pretty good model for like political change in the South that just realistically – the political dynamics, the dominant political dynamics are not going to change until you get like a critical mass of voters who are in a position to change those dynamics for themselves. And that'll happen in Mississippi at some point in the next 20 years. I mean, Mississippi has the highest percentage of its population comprised of uh, black people of any state in America. We have a, quickly growing uh, Latino community in the state. And so it's only a matter of time, even given how racially polarized Mississippi is before you do have that critical mass of voters who are in a position to, to change the dynamics of statewide elections. But it, you know, it might be 20 years from now. Even from a, like the perspective of, you know, setting aside right versus left, because I think like 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 talking about Georgia, I think Georgia in the I was growing up '90s and early 2000s, probably some pretty pretty moderate conservatives, you know, in power and in certain spots and like very, you know very business friendly and all that. And how do you like? Is there is there a sense of that at all, or is it so polarized down there where it's just it's left or right, and the right is as far right as you can possibly get, and the left is you know is is kind of a little bit bifurcated. It's, it's interesting you say that because um, the same thing was true in Mississippi when I was a kid, even though it was a one-party state. You know, it, at the time, it was the Democratic Party that was the party in power. But most of the folks you know, on the Democratic side and, and on the Republican side, too, sort of, uh, as one former president put it, they, they played football between the 40s. Mm-hmm. You know, they were they were pretty moderate folks. My sense is that both sides have retreated to their corners a little bit and 
again, we don't have to get into right versus wrong. Um, I, I certainly identify with one of those more than the other, but, you know, it, sure, we could talk for, you know, the rest of the day about the causes of that, but, you know, suffice it to say that there are an awful lot of political incentives now for politicians to retreat toward the margins of their end of the political spectrum. And, you know, that that's true on both sides of the spectrum. And so you, you wind up getting a lot of people elected to office who uh, are more worried about a primary challenge than they are a general election challenge. And talking about your, your background and, and what, what specifically you do as far as the cases and, and, and the nature of the cases that you take on, can you talk a little Yeah. So I, um, I work on mostly public school cases. Um, I, I get a few cases that are more criminal justice sort of cases, but they're, you know, most of the things I'm working on are, if not class actions, then sort of class action E. And so at, at any given point, I, my docket at work may only be, you know, a, a small handful of cases, but the cases themselves are pretty big animals. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, and they're the sorts of cases that go on for years and years. And it's, it's super rewarding. I mean, it's the type of work I went to law school to do, but it also will make you pull your hair out at night. But, you know, like I, I told somebody at one point, like if we're, if all our hair is going to grow gray anyway, it, it might as well go gray over something that matters. Yeah. What's like, what's a, a, a good example of one of the cases you've, you've worked on in the past or. Well, gosh, I didn't know y'all were going to ask about this, um, but I'm happy to kick it around. Well, definitely bullshit about the Sanderson <laughs> and uh, okay. Frank Melton and all, and have you power rank some stupid shit. But I, I think this is really interesting because, you know, like you're doing, you're doing some pretty, pretty heavy, uh, substantial work. So I'll tell you about my, my favorite case. Um, so at some point after I got to SPLC and like a lot of good legal work, this started um, with a night at the bar. I was in Montgomery, uh, went out with some friends one night and I came back and it was just like the, the bars closed pretty early in Montgomery. So it was like 10 o'clock at night and I was not ready to go to sleep, but I also didn't want to keep drinking. So it's kind of like got on Westlaw, which is a legal research service and just kind of started screwing around, like just reading cases and kind of like Wikipedia, you know, you, you click on one thing and then you see something else that's interesting. You click on another. And I found this statute that Congress enacted in 1870 to readmit Mississippi back to the union after the civil war. And one of the things that Congress included in that statute was a requirement that Mississippi could never change the provision of its state constitution that provided public education rights. And in fact, Mississippi has done that a number of times uh, over the past 130 years, uh, mostly around the, uh, you know, the civil rights movement. And so we filed a lawsuit in 2017 asking for uh, declaratory judgment that the state was in violation of the terms of this statute that readmitted it to the union. And, um, 
we, we filed that. We wound up at the Fifth Circuit on an appeal. We won that. And then after some other procedural machinations, we're, we're back in district court now, uh, continuing to litigate it. So that's, you know, four years and still kicking that around. But that's a, that's a case I'm really excited about. And it's just a, a really fun case to work on, too. What will the potential result like? What's what's the best case result from a case like that? Well, I I think when you win a case like you know if if we win that case, uh, I think the ball is going to go back in the court of the state at that point. You know, if if a declaratory judgment issues from a federal court that says, "Hey, there's a federal statute out there that you're in violation of." Well, the law presumes that elected officials, when they're advised of their legal duties, will follow those duties. And so you know, the onus will be back on the state at that point to try to come into compliance with the terms of the statute. And you know, we'll see what that looks like. And uh, who knows if you know, there will be need to be some other steps at that point. We'll kind of have to cross that bridge when we get to it. But I think it does open up some exciting possibilities. We'll just have to see what, you know, what the state does with it though. So just better access to public education. Sorry. I I'm like at, at a very base level is, is like the it, application. Yeah. Of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I, I don't know how familiar you guys are with this phenomenon in like the eighties and nineties, where you saw a lot of school funding lawsuits, um, those were lawsuits brought under the terms of each state's state constitution. So the, the federal constitution doesn't include a federal right to a public education, but every state constitution does include some sort of right to public education. And those, the, each state constitution describes that right a little bit differently. And some of those rights are stronger than others. Uh, which is why you saw in some states those lawsuits were successful and in other states they weren't. There was never a lawsuit like that in Mississippi just because our state constitution uh, has such a weak guarantee to public education now. And so if you can get, you know, going back to our case, if you can get a federal declaratory judgment that Mississippi is in violation of that statute, uh, then I think you at that point, you've got a pretty good argument. The state has got to be providing the quality of education that the state constitution called for when federal, uh, when Congress enacted that statute back in 1870. Okay. And at the time, believe it or not, uh, Mississippi's constitution contained a really robust guarantee to public education. If it were still on the books, it would be one of the strongest rights to public education anywhere in the country. Hmm. So, you know, if you, you know, if the state suddenly finds itself um, looking at that uh, burden again, that, that would really be exciting. I, can I ask you a, a somewhat personal question? Um, and, and we don't have to get into like, nitty gritty details, but does, does your, I, I think most listeners and certainly folks that follow you on Twitter, and if you don't, they don't follow you on Twitter, uh, they should seek you out. 
do, do your thoughts, um, political beliefs, ha- have, have they run up against like family members? Or I, I, I just wonder about like the inner family dynamics. Um, they can be fraught anywhere. I, I don't know if there could be more fraught in a place like Mississippi or not. You know, it's, it's strange. Uh, they, they haven't run up against anybody in my family for the most part. Um, you know, I, I, before I got off Facebook a couple of years ago, uh, I found myself trading barbs with an uncle more than I would have liked to. Um, but you know, Mississippi is, you know, you find clusters of people who, uh, who see the world largely the same way you do. And I don't know whether that's, you know, whether we do that intentionally or, or, or subconsciously or what, but um, here in my neighborhood in Bellhaven, uh, a, a surprising number of people kind of look at the world similarly to the way I do. Um, Jackson itself, of course, is a, uh, is most of the people who live here are black. Uh, the political uh, officials who are usually elected from Jackson are uh, generally Democrats. Uh, so, I, you know, Jackson's a place I feel pretty comfortable in. Now, you get out into Madison County, Rankin County, which are whiter, more suburban areas. Uh, I, I think I would probably feel a little lonelier out there. Uh, but, but right now, you know, I, I feel pretty good. Uh, Tron, any, any other hard questions or, or I should say soft questions. I, I feel like the hard questions are coming with the power yeah. rankings and the, and the Sanderson stuff. I, I, I guess. Yeah. I just, uh, really moving to Sanderson. Like what's, what's your history with the tournament? Is it, uh, I mean, I can remember being a really small kid back in like, I can't remember which year it was that the tournament became a full-fledged PGA Tour event. You know, for the first several years of its existence, it was a satellite event, which was at the time was sort of the equivalent of an opposite field event. Uh, and so I remember it was had to be like 91, 92, something like that, when they became a full-fledged PGA Tour event, that that was a big deal. And I remember several years later, the purse went all the way up to a million dollars. And that was a huge deal that they finally had a million dollar purse. Um, but I mean, it, it, the, the story of the tournament has always been sort of you know, struggling against forces outside its control. And, you know, sometimes like literal forces, like they, they've had, they had a run there for several years where they just, they ran into a weather problem every single year. There was one year where it got rained out completely. Um, they've all, they've had all kinds of problems. They've had trouble finding title sponsors, um, you know, trouble keeping the purse up, trouble keeping local interest up candidly. And so the, where they are now with, you know, a, a really good title sponsor with a really healthy purse and, this sort of cult following on Twitter, it's um, it's really hard to believe that it is where it is right now. Will you be going this weekend? 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, I'm gonna have to be a little creative about that because uh, Friday is my 10th wedding anniversary and Saturday is uh, my younger kid's birthday. So I'm gonna have to be a little strategic about how, how I do that, but I, I will absolutely be out there. Nice. Yeah, it's just such a, such a colorful list of characters that have won in the past. Like, you know, Peter Malnati, Woody Austin, um, Fred Funk's won it twice. Uh, Randy's boy, Heath Slocum, uh, Billy Ray Brown. I would say Sergio, right? Add Sergio to that list. Yeah. yeah. It, what I love about the Sanderson is that it is a golf fans golf tournament. Such like, a good golf course too. It, like, it's a really good golf course that, like, I mean, any golf course, if you hit it long off the tee, you're going to have an advantage, but you don't have to hit it long off the tee to compete at country club of Jackson. Um, and the, the, the field, especially traditionally, was always so eclectic. You would have the young guys coming up off the developmental tour. You would have some older guys who were, you know, trying to catch lightning in the ball one more time. And, you know, you could go out and, find one of those you know young guys coming off you could like literally be one of three or four people following them around the course and the past few years as you've started to see more top 50 players in the field i frankly i was worried uh when that started to happen that the event would start to lose some of its luster but they've done a great job of balancing that with uh, the the old vibe of the place. So you you know you still get those young guys coming off the corn ferry. You still get some older players who you probably don't see many times a year anymore. And you get you know there are seven top fifty players in the field this year, which is you know if you're most tour events that's not very many, but for the Sanderson it's it's a lot. I mean the purse is is more than doubled since 2013. It's ridiculous. Seven million dollars. It was at three million in 2013, four million in 2014, and then a massive like 2.2 million dollar jump from 2018 to 2019. Um, yeah, I mean it's crazy. Like some like uh, Justin Lauer, who we sponsor, like he's he's I think he's on the outside looking in. Like they didn't even clear through the priority list as far as Corn Ferry Tour from last year. So strong field. Uh, how's the weather looking for this week? Well, it rained like hell yesterday. Um, on Wednesday, which is not ideal. Uh, it's probably going to rain a little bit more Thursday and Friday. Um, so it, it'll be soggy out there, but you know, um, the greens are still, I think the most challenging part of that golf course. And, you know, it doesn't matter how much it rains, the, uh, the contour and tilt doesn't go away. Uh, speaking of just, Random aside, Cody Gribble won this tournament in 2016. I don't even think he plays golf anymore. He's uh, he's the lefty from Texas, right? Yeah, I That's, the last the last uh, OWGR event he has on there is 2019 Corn Ferry Tour Championship. I'm trying to pull up his PGA Tour profile, but my internet is too slow. Um, yeah, I, actually, you click on his results, and the the last year he appears is 2019. Oh, wow. Hmm. Hey, listeners, shout out anybody, anybody listening that can update us on uh, 
Cody Gribble. You know, sometimes uh, you win a big event like the Sanderson and you don't have anything to play for anymore. I mean, look, Jason Day won his one major and uh, and he kind of rode off into the sunset, hadn't really been the same since. And, you know, Cody got his major and, and there you go. His, uh, his Twitter bio says he'd rather be hunting or fishing. So hopefully he's doing either one of those. Hunting or fishing now. Yeah. What's the wider golf scene like in Jackson, Will? There's some really good private courses. Public golf is a desert here. Um, there's a course that just reopened a few months ago out in Flowood, which is a, a suburb not far from Jackson. Uh, that course is called the Refuge. Shout out to the Refuge. Um, and it's it's okay. It's not great. The the renovation work that they did out there was really good, but the site itself is just pretty bland. Um, there's a really good course south of here called Wolf Hollow on the campus of a community college, uh, and it's it's awesome, but it's about an hour away. There's a 36-hole Fazio facility called Dancing Rabbit that's also about an hour and a half away. Uh, Mossy Oak in West Point is about two and a half hours away. That's the best golf course in the state. Is that the Hans one over right, right yeah, by yeah. Uh, Old Waverly? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's tremendous. It's just awesome. Um, but as far as like Jackson proper, there is really not much uh, along the lines of public golf. Well, you were saying there's some good strap golf out in the Delta area. I don't know anything about golf in the Delta. Um, there are a lot of really good public courses in Mississippi. Like the portfolio is really good. They're just all spread out. Mm -hmm. So the, you know, the coast is probably the closest thing that we have to having like a critical mass of really solid public golf courses. Um, but then you've got, you got a couple of good ones around Hattiesburg, Mossy Oak and old Waverly up in the Northeast part of the state. Um, you know, you've got dancing rabbit, uh, sort of between that and Jackson, uh, you've got some okay stuff, uh, in the South Haven area, just South of Memphis, but it's just all spread out. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and nothing on the level of like a contraband Bayou that you could, uh, <laughs> Certainly, when you tweeted about that place, like what a name! Man. Uh, and I, I literally, I literally only went to that place because its name was Contraband Bayou. Um, and as it turns out, that was really all that place had going for it was the craziest name of any golf course I've ever heard. But yeah, Contraband Bayou in South uh, in Lake Charles, Louisiana, man, it's uh, another Fazio course. Yeah. Uh, God, I'm dying for these guys to do strapped, strapped Mississippi. I think it'd be such because, like, one. you know, going back to like what what Mississippi does well, I think it's it's extremely local, and the food's great, and there's some characters, right? There will be a lot of strapped content. Um, yeah, finding an Airbnb might be a challenge, but we'll we'll figure something out. We'll put y'all up if we need to. We'll make it happen. <laughs> Legally, legally put them up. They have to pay. They have to, you know, market market rate. No, we are. Yeah. If it's pre-planned, that's, that's not good. Yeah. But maybe we could, I don't know. Like, 
get y'all to wash some dishes or something. There you go. There you go. We'll, we'll figure we it always, out. Yeah, we'll always trade labor. Food-wise, what's your what's your favorite? Uh, I'm, I'm sure the food kind of differs by region as well, right? It does. Um, you know, going to you know going to eat in the Delta is a very different thing from going to eat in on like the coast. You know, seafood dominates down there, even up as far as Jackson, which is a three-hour drive from the coast. You can still very easily get really good fresh seafood. Um, it gets a little harder the farther north you go from there, um, but still not unusual to, to find it on the menu. Um, tamales are really big in the Delta for reasons I've never really understood. Um, somebody explained it to me once, and it made a ton of sense, and then I forgot the explanation. Um, but yeah, um, surprisingly, there's not like a Mississippi style of barbecue. You know, with being so close to Memphis, you would think that there is, and people definitely like barbecue in Mississippi, but there's, there's nothing like unique about it. Uh, but it's good. There are a ton of good places, especially in Jackson. Um, Jackson has a ton of really good restaurants, and so does Oxford, for that matter. What's your, your uh, power rank, the, the restaurants in, in uh, Oxford? Just because I know this is all about hot button issue. Yeah. So, um, number one has got to be Ajax. Um, that is probably not the place you would like take your wife for your 10th anniversary, but maybe if she's awesome, um, it's, you know, it's just sort of a greasy spoon type of place right on the square. You can get meatloaf, you can get a po' boy. Uh, it's, it's just so awesome. Um, city grocery, would probably be number two. That is a place you would take your wife for your 10th anniversary, but it's also a place where you can just like the bar at city grocery is so great. It's just a tremendous scene. Um, shrimp and grits is the signature dish there. You will walk out feeling like you just ate four pounds of food, but it's so good. Um, third, I'm going to go with, uh, Proud Larry's right off the square is a tremendous beer drinking patio at Proud Larry's. Um, just a great spot to like set up shop for an afternoon, especially this time of year when the weather's starting to get nice. Uh, sit out there with a beer and a pizza and just kind of watch the world go by. Those would be my three spots. Okay. And then favorite restaurant in, in Jackson. I'm trying to think of a reason not to go with walkers and I can't think of one okay. um, walkers is walkers is great. Walkers is kind of an institution. It's in that Fondren neighborhood that I mentioned earlier. Um, and same kind of deal as a city grocery. You can go there and like put on a suit with your wife and have a bottle of wine. Uh, or you can just like roll up with some friends, you know, wearing a polo shirt and, uh, uh, and have something a little more casual. Um, it's the food is tremendous. Seafood, steak, really, really it's probably the best lunch in Jackson. Honestly, uh, especially for the price, the, the prices there are extremely reasonable at lunch. Uh, and another good uh, patio to sit out on. So eat outdoors and uh, drink a beer and not catch COVID, which is all good. Have you ever been to Woodall Mountain, the highest point in the state? Is that 
uh, in Tishomingo State Park? That's a great question. Um, Let's say it is. If it is, then yeah, probably so. Um, Tishomingo State Park is a very, very, very northeastern corner of the state. Uh, it's, at, it's in Tishomingo County, but yeah. I, it does not yeah. look like it's in Tishomingo State uh, Park. That's, I may have missed Woodall Mountain. I went camping up there several years ago, and it is incredible. It's much more like the, the Great Smoky Mountains than anything else you see in Mississippi. It's such a good hang. Have you ever floated down the Mississippi River, like on a on boat of any sort? No, not not the Mississippi. I have a friend who did that, and um, he's one of the dumbest people I know. And I remember his his father spent several weeks trying to talk him out of it unsuccessfully. He did uh, he did not get eaten by an alligator, but um, you know that that was enough of a possibility to scare me out of uh, of doing that. What Mississippi kind of River's no joke, man. I know. Um, Wait, it's where, where do the alligators start on the Mississippi? I would definitely like St. Louis. Anything south of yeah, I was going to say probably <laughs> the whole the whole length of the the state, but certainly by the time you get down to Vicksburg, uh, really, you need, to, you need to have your head on a swivel, man. Sick, God. What kind of boat was he on? Just a kayak. Oh shit! Okay, he's an idiot. And he did the whole thing, like just start to finish. No, I think he went from Memphis uh, down, maybe to like Natchez or something like that. He did a really big stretch of it, though. Um, but like I said, he's a moron. Um, much better to just like drive over and look at it. What are you, will you power rank Mississippi's neighbors? Alabama, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Tennessee. That is a great question. God. Um, All right. I'm going to catch a lot of shit for this, but I'm going to go number one, Tennessee. Wow. Because you've got Memphis, which is a great American city. You've got Nashville, which is a mediocre American city, but, you know, there's, there's still room for that. Um, Sweeten's Cove, the best golf course in America. Um, so there's a lot going on in Tennessee. Um, second, I'm going to go Alabama. Wow. Um, huh. Birmingham is extremely underrated. I agree. Birmingham, I agree. Birmingham's great. There's a lot of good public golf over there, too. A lot of bad but public golf over there, too. There's a, there's a lot of bad public golf, but hey, but look, you, you take the, the good with the bad. Yeah. Um, and, and Birmingham, like you can do anything in Birmingham. Restaurants are awesome. You can drive over to Tuscaloosa and catch a football game. Uh, they've got an awesome minor league baseball stadium downtown in Birmingham right now. Uh, so that's a, that's a tremendous place to kill a weekend. Any, uh, minor league baseball in Jackson. Yeah. So, um, we've had minor league baseball dating back, like as long as I've been alive. Uh, the Mets were the team when I was growing up, a double A affiliate of the New York Mets in, uh, in the Texas league. And after they what, left, what a wild juxtaposition that must be when you get called yeah. up from double A Jackson, Mississippi to Queens, dude, the, the names that came through Jackson, like Mookie Wilson 
got married at home plate. Daryl Strawberry played in Jackson. Lenny Dykstra played in Jackson. I think Doc Gooden was there for a hot minute. Um, there were some studs that came through Jackson in the 1980s. Now, around 89 or 90, the Mets moved, and we got a, an Astros affiliate named the Generals. And they were great, too. They didn't have as many big names come through. but still a great, great time. And there's a team out in the suburbs now. Uh, it's the double-A affiliate for the Braves, the Mississippi Braves. And, you know, the Braves have a great minor league system. So you see some good players come through there, too. Yeah. Uh, all right, back to the, the uh, power rankings. We got we to gotta figure out what's wrong with Louisiana and uh, Arkansas. I guess I'm going to go with Louisiana third. Um, but Louisiana... I think Louisiana is overrated. Um, New Orleans, we need to talk about New Orleans. New Orleans has got some really cool stuff going on, but it's also got some stuff going on that like, I don't want any part of for the rest of my life. Like I could go the rest of my life and not go to the French Quarter. Um, Baton Rouge sucks. Uh, there's nothing – well – started to say there's nothing in the northern part of the state. Now I know uh, my colleague Bunky Perkins is going to come say for oh, disparaging oh, Shreveport. Oh, but look, I mean, we, let's be honest about Shreveport. I mean, it's, Shreveport is like a bigger version of Meridian, Mississippi. It just, it is what it is. You know, they've got like six Raisin Cane's locations there. And, and there you go. That's Shreveport. So, I guess I'll, to be kind, I'll put Louisiana third and then Arkansas. Is, I mean, Arkansas is just, there's not much there until you get past Little Rock. The Northwest part of the state is great, but before that, it's just nondescript. I think we may have to just pre, pre mea culpa too. Yeah, there's, there's all sorts of different uh, interpretations of the Golden Triangle and our good friend, the Kamish. Uh, you know, he, he was adamant that the Golden Triangle was Lake Charles, Port Arthur, Beaumont. That yeah, area. the Mississippi Golden Triangle is Columbus, Mississippi, which is where the Mississippi University for Women is, Starkville, which, of course, is home to Mississippi State, and West Point, which is uh, where you find Old Waverly and Mossy Oak. Um, I don't care to uh, give that Golden Triangle any higher credence than uh, the commission's uh, since ours includes Starkville, so you could you know do anything you want with that. Yeah, will you will you sum up? Well, well, hey, take a dump on uh, Arkansas because that was the, There's just nothing there. There's just nothing little there. Little like, Arkansas. I mean, even like even though I'm putting Louisiana third, like there's some stuff in New Orleans that I would go do. You know, there's some restaurants I'd love to go eat at anytime I'm down there. Uh, I'd love to go see a Saints game. But again, like, what would you do in Arkansas? It was uh, truly until you get to the northwest part of the state, up around Fort Smith and Fayetteville. There's just nothing to the place. Yeah, I, I've never been. I've never been to New Orleans either. So I'm a, you know, you need to you need to fix that. It's yeah. it has its moments. I would stay. I wouldn't stay for longer than like two nights. But you know, in three days, two nights, there's there's plenty down there to fill up your your itinerary. It's yeah. You may catch a little heat from me on that, Will. It's it's fantastic. 
I just said it's it's probably my favorite American city. There are a lot of people that feel that way. Um, I my first experiences with New Orleans as a child included a lot of trips to the French Quarter, and it just kind of colored my impression of the city. And um, now that I've gotten older and know to stay away from the French Quarter, those trips have definitely gotten better. But I still like after two days, I, I've had my fill. I'm ready to go home. What's your favorite American city? Chicago. Okay. I love Chicago. Randy, what's yours? I think New Orleans. New Orleans? For sure? Here's what I've always said about New Orleans. New Orleans is the one place in this country that I can go to and feel like I'm not in this country. TC, what about you? What's your favorite American city? Mm, I got to say... I got to say Boston. I love Boston. I, I, I loved living there. I love, you know, it's just, it's cool. And I love the surrounding area. Um, say I want to like Chicago more than I do. I like the idea of Chicago, but every time I spend time there, it just, you know, I kind of leave feeling not, not really unfulfilled, but it's just so fucking big. Here's, here's the thing about um, Chicago is I think to truly be the great American, like if you dropped me off on February 8th in Chicago, it'd be miserable. I'd hate being there. And I think that's disqualifying for Chicago. The, the winners yeah. are just, they're, they're bad. I, I think San Francisco so would be, is, if not New Orleans, San Francisco would be like, San Francisco is the most beautiful. I, I, I'm most intrigued and inspired by San Francisco. It's just so fucked up though. <laughs> like, just in like general. I mean, it's just like, you just, yeah, just cost of living, the, you know, just all the issues that they've got going on. It's, it, you know, it's impossible to get around. I would argue, um, I would argue that then that makes it the true great American city. Yeah, I would put, I mean, I haven't spent a ton of time there, but Seattle has some, some, some early bona fides in my, my book. Uh, I love it out there. Um, trying to think what else, um, you see, I, uh, you know, and a bunch of smaller ones too. I owe you uh, belated uh, thanks for sending me the last time I was in Boston. I asked for a golf recommendation. You sent me to George Wright. And that place is oh George that place awesome. is a banger, man. Yeah. I love that golf course. And they just put a bunch of money into it a few years ago for the they had the US, the the Massachusetts Amateur there. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna try I got there next week. I, I got there right after they'd finished that, and it's it's unbelievable. I love that place. It's crazy, like Boston. It's crazy how much good public golf there is around Boston. Um, it's especially coming once you go north, north and west of the city. Um, but yeah, I, I would say probably Boston's my, my definitive answer, Randy. Um, you got any Frank Melton stories for us? You know, the one Frank Melton story I have is that um, I was living with a buddy. This was about a year after I graduated from law school, I think when uh, Melton died and I was living with a buddy um, in Melton's neighborhood. So you would turn into this little neighborhood, which was, it was smaller than a subdivision. You know, it's like a, a street that would go maybe the length of a couple of three city blocks with a little cul-de-sac uh, on the side of it. And uh, Melton's house was down at the end of this street and he had like, gates in front of his house, uh, security cameras and the whole thing. But he, um, 
So he lived there while I was living with my buddy and then he died. And then a couple of weeks after he died, one Friday night, we really, we had a big party. You know, we had a great time, stayed up real late. And I woke up at about lunchtime that Saturday and realized I'd missed Frank Melton's estate sale. And I had, oh. full, I had fully intended to go and, uh, you know, hopefully pick up a couple of things, but certainly check out the scene. And it is still one of my biggest regrets that I slept through the Frank Melton estates. I'm going to have to like, I think Frank Melton's on our list of, of perfect club episodes that we do where between the Wood Street players and the lawn crew and just, you know, just all these stories. It just sounds like he, he like what a colorful, colorful, corrupt character. I'll, uh, I can make a couple of recommendations for you to, uh, for guests when you do that. But um, okay. yeah. And I had forgotten until Bunky told this story last year, I had completely forgotten that Melton pulled over a school bus full of kids on the interstate so that he could get them to all give him hugs. <laughs> just a, just a fucking lunatic. Uh, yes. 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 <laughs> Uh, what's uh what's the uh jackson airport like it's um i mean it's good and bad like if you get there two hours early you're going to die of boredom because there's nothing to do there especially like with covid i was there a few months ago uh to fly to charlotte and like, nothing is open right now the restaurants are all closed it's just a miserable experience but the good news is that unless you're, unless there's some reason that you have to get there early, it's a really small airport. So you can, you know, you take your time getting there and you probably you know, still going to be able to get through security in 10 minutes. Yeah. Grocery stores. Yeah. Well, it's a tough scene. Um, it's dominated by Kroger, but we're not happy about it. Hate that. I hate that for you guys. We, um, so Kroger, thankful, Will. well, I mean, we're, we're thankful we're not starving to death, but some weeks we come close to it because we, they started this program called click list right about the time the, the pandemic started where you didn't have to go out, you know, go in the store. You could just order your stuff on the internet and then uh, call them when you get there and they bring it out to your car. But inevitably you do that and they'll get to your car and they'll say, yeah, we, we didn't have 20 items this week. So, you know, here's everything you ordered minus those 20 items, but it'll be stuff like kosher salt and, you know, like cap and crunch, you know, just the most basic stuff. And you could literally, you can get out of your car and walk into Kroger and the, you know, just piles and piles of cap and crunch staring you in the face. And so I don't know, I don't know whether it's institutional incompetence or laziness or what, but it's, it's a, it's a tough scene. My wife and I used to go to orange beach a lot and they have a great Publix down there. And every time we would leave, we would always say, damn, if we could just get a Publix in Jackson, how much, how much nicer would our lives be? Um, so we, it, we're Kroger, but it's, it's not by choice. There you go. I mean, Kroger's been in the news for all, all the wrong reasons this year. Too. How, how, can, how can you 
Will disqualified himself with his takes on New Orleans. So take take it take it all with a big grain of salt. Kosher you salt. See, I, I listened to this debate between you guys with a lot of objectivity for a long time. But then TC ended the debate one day when he when he pointed out like what's the best thing at Kroger? Like what is what is the thing you go to Kroger specifically to get? And there's nothing. And that to, I what had do to, you mean? What to throw public? in the towel at that point? Wait, what? What's Publix? What do you mean? Oh, oh you got t- Publix subs, the rotisserie chicken, their store brand delightful. Oh, yeah, the oh, deli's God. awesome. The deli's awesome. Sweet the bakery's tea. awesome. Great, great butcher shop. Come on, oh, Kroger has all that stuff. We just don't make like a big deal about. It. Like pub subs are so overrated. Like they they're just they're just a sub sandwich. You can get that in Kroger if you really want. People just don't make a thing about it. Now, I will I will say like if if we're looking for silver linings here on the especially on the Jackson Kroger, the one on I fifty five, uh, you can go in at lunchtime and get some really good fried chicken. Now you can get really good fried chicken in Jackson in a lot of places. So that's not like it's not like Kroger has that market cornered, but if we're looking for straws to grasp at, that is one of them. I, I think the Kroger private label is really good too. I, I would, I, I will go to bat for, uh, I think it's private select maybe. Publix, you're always getting reserved. They, they want to take your bags out to the car for you, which Tron always makes them do. No, I, I, I refuse. It's that I weird. Refuse. It's the it's people that, that need it, Randy. No, it's almost that like weird over the top, like Southern hospitality. That's like, yeah, it's, it feels a little cultish. You're a moron. <laughs> Will, anything else that you need to get off your chest about Mississippi or otherwise? No, I just, while I have you uh, as an audience, I, I want to tell you all, like, you guys do a great job. Um, you guys make it fun to be a golf fan. And I, I've, for years before I ran into No Laying Up, um, I, I was just bored to death with the way people wrote about golf and talked about it. And you guys, you guys make it fun to be a golf fan. And nobody in the history of golf media has done that. So thanks for doing what y'all do. Oh, that's exce- well, thank you. Yeah, that's exceedingly nice of you. I would say I mentioned it earlier, but you have a good Twitter account at Will Bardwell. Uh, the Lying Four is is your little—I shouldn't say little—but it seems like a, a nice side hustle for you, which is is fun to read. I've enjoyed. Um, You've got merch now. Yeah, I do have merch. In fact, I, I've got a couple of say, boxes. Sh- of- shit, you're gonna be a competitor here soon. We might not be able to talk to you much longer. No, no, I like I I still don't have the online store set up. I've got some some uh hoodies in my bedroom and i've got to move so i've got to set up the online store first wonderful uh best of luck with that have fun uh at the tournament this weekend i hope the weather is as good as it can be and i hope you can navigate your anniversary and kid's birthday to get out there well rain or shine we'll figure it out man appreciate y'all all right well, wonderful see you will Favorite trapper, the absolute truth, yeah, no.